0: Hello and welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. It's Monday after the Tour de France fam. It's, it's the Monday after about a month of quality racing in France. And yet we've got all kinds of racing still going on all over the world. We've got the World Championships coming up. There is so much to talk about in a pretty serious fashion. I am Dane Cash, and I'm excited to be joined, as ever, I am excited to be able to have my conversation, my weekly chat, with Cosmo Catalano, bike racing analyst extraordinaire. Cosmo, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Dane. Good to be back. Although, I feel like there's a lot that we have to talk about that I don't know as much about because there was so much racing going on.
0: Well, you have, between now and when I throw to you in a few minutes to, (laughs) you know, be an analyst to look things up. Which should be ample time, right?
1: You got gotta You got to watch. You got to. You got to. You can't just chug it. You got to savor the bouquet. You got to get a little. I got gotcha. you. See what the. I don't yeah, know yeah, what the, it's the called. Bouquet, when you look at for one, sure whether or not it's smooth or hazy or clear or whatever.
0: Uh, also joining us for the second straight week, which is very exciting news because we we went so many weeks without hearing from you, Ruth. Uh, Ruth Winder, welcome back to the pretty serious bike racing podcast.
2: Thanks for having me again.
0: Of course uh we are here to talk tour de france fam we are here to talk classic saint sebastian there's the tour de pologne going on right now i mean literally right now that the third stage of the tour of poland is ending uh oh it just ended rafael micah won the third stage of the tour of poland ahead of Matej mohoric this just happened uh we've got worlds coming up there is a lot of bike racing going on at this time it's uh I was I was texting someone about this how this is a funny sport where in the middle of the season we get the Tour de France and then there's still all kinds of action right after that, particularly when Worlds gets kind of moved to August. We've got lots to talk about as we do every week, really. I mean, that's that's kind of the nature of the sport. And if you like hearing us talk about bike racing, I'll tell you right now before we get any farther into the show, you should head on over to slash join and sign up. Become a member of the very cool Escape Collective community that supports this podcast, Wheel Talk, Placeholders, Geek Warning. Uh, we'd love to have you as a member, and you should go check it out if you haven't already. If you have, if you already are a member, we, we are so grateful for that, and uh, we appreciate you. Yeah, all right, on with the show. So we've got Tour de France Femme, I think, is going to be our main topic of discussion today. Before we delve into that, though, I do want to just kind of start with some news there's a pretty horrible news to touch on here before we do that. Uh, horrible news out of the junior cycling scene here in Boulder, where Magnus White, who is 17 years old, uh, was killed this weekend when a driver hit him while he was training, uh, literally a few hundred meters away from from where I'm recording right now. Uh, really awful. Uh, junior racer, multi-disciplined talent, and he was about to head to Worlds. Which, yeah, like I said, we're going to talk about Worlds. And he was going to be going there. Um, mountain bike talent among the juniors. Um, so awful news that that, that just happened. And uh, our, our thoughts are with uh, everyone here in the Boulder cycling community, the you know, Boulder Junior Cycling, and really anyone affected by, by this. It's uh, pretty tragic news, obviously, when this happens to anyone, but particularly for a 17-year-old. Um, and, uh, yeah, so our thoughts are with everyone. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about the bike race. We're going to talk about Tour de France Fem. We're going to talk about, uh, all the bike racing. So let's start with the race that just ended. Overall impressions. Tour de France Fem. Demi Vollering was the pre-race favorite and Demi Vollering was the very clear winner at the end. The podium was a little bit of a surprise in that it did not feature Annemiek van Vleuten, who was the kind of other favorite besides Demi Vollering. Lada Kapeki of S D works just narrowly pipping Cassia Nuviodoma for runner up honors Nuviadoma on, settling on a third. Breaker,
1: right? Didn't they have the same official time?
0: Yes. On tenths of a second it was decided, uh which is probably pretty frustrating for Nuvia Doma, but nonetheless, she did finish on the podium, and I don't think, I didn't, you know, I think she probably was happy about that. So, at the end of the race, Demi Vollering, your clear winner. I think there were all kinds of great stage battles, though. Lots of interesting talking points throughout the race.
1: Overall impressions. Cosmo, Ruth, what did you think? I loved it. I, I was, this is, it's been, I think, slower than necessary, the launch of this event, but I think, it really stood on its own two feet in a way that it hasn't before this time around. Not that last year's race was, you know, they, they had, the, they shared the starting stage with the finish of the men's Tour de France. This was an entirely separate event in an entirely separate place. And I think you saw better crowd support. I think you saw better racing. I think this, the very, very top of the GC was not super hotly contested. I think it was pretty clear who the strongest was, but the podium and the battles for top five, six were wild throughout the race I think you saw the sort of uh early aggression and uh chance taking in the first couple stages that you, you really only kind of see in those chaotic days of the of the of the men's tour de France and I thought it was just yeah really delivered on all fronts in a way um that uh I've been wanting to see it deliver probably for a decade plus so um good to see it out there and love to see the support it got
2: Definitely. The support they had was so cool. The crowds to see that for a women's race, like you rarely, rarely, rarely ever see that. And that was just so awesome to be able to see that for, for everybody out there racing.
0: Yeah, that was great. And I think the fact that they got that level of support where this race occurred was, I don't want to say surprised, but very cool. I mean, they're they're in this place that, well, first of all, the, you know, the men's race had been through there and spent a fair amount of time there and the fans were still out in force that was awesome to see that throughout throughout the race Uh, and i think it really added to the to the entertainment value uh all right let's talk about some moments that stood out during this race uh cosmo i want to throw to you first because i know that one of those happened early on in the race and i'd like to keep things chronological so uh yeah
1: i touched on it earlier but uh, the aggression in the, in the, in the front of the race in the early stages was really cool. Um, it wasn't just, you know, a break gets away and we wait for Estee Works or probably usually DSM instead of SD Works to chase it. It was like, we're going to go out there. We're going to shake things up. We're going to grab mountain points. We're going to take the stage. We're going to do whatever we can do. We're not sitting here and, and waiting for the race to come to us. And it was just, you know, it was Phoenix could have won, Nothing. They could have not had the mountain jersey. They could have not won a stage, and they still would have been out there looking awesome. Like there was a particular moment. I think it was stage two, maybe, uh, where uh, Eva von Ucht was kind of shaking her head because the Phoenix riders just keeps keeps on attacking, almost like on pure stoke. And I, for me, I was very much like, I don't know. I think that's the move. I think this is just you know, you're out there. You're on the stage. This is your moment. Like let it rip and see what happens. Because, uh, you know, there's some super strong teams riding really well. They're probably going to bring it back. Like, make it happen when you can make it happen. And, and Phoenix really did. And it was it was cool to hear their interviews with their DS afterwards saying, hey, yeah, that's the plan. Like, that's what we're going to do. Um, and yeah, I love that.
2: I think it's cool to see, you know, like they have to kind of do that, right? We have these bigger teams, and like you said, they're probably going to come back. And most of the time, they would have come back. And the fact that we had so many breakaways stay to the line this time, or almost stay to the line, is pretty rare and unusual i would say but there's always a team or two that's just like constantly never ever ever ending attacking and so eventually the peloton's just like oh my gosh i give up fine go like be gone i don't want to see you anymore and the fact that it really worked out for them is cool it's not like some epic tactic that we need to analyze it's just that they kept trying and the peloton got fed up with it and then the peloton failed in bringing in bringing them back sometimes um when those teams were doing these attacks that just wouldn't let up. And it's because they know they don't have another option because if they do wait to the line or they do wait to the climb or the sprint or whatever, they know the best chance is maybe 15th or something. So um, they just, they just have to race that way. Otherwise they just choose not to race. And I don't think anybody wanted to come to such a big stage like that and choose not to race.
0: I, I think the, uh, sort of taking us out of order here on our on our you know sacred run sheet but uh, <laughs> I, I did want to mention at some point that i think sd works really playing the long game uh had a big impact on the way that this race played out i think they did a great job with the early stages they really they made other teams do work at times to to, to a point where it was even i think uh, a major talking point with uh you know the question marks around okay will dsm actually you know we, we had a story up on Escape Collective where they, where they call the, the SD Works bluff. And I think for SD Works, I mean, the team, they ended up at this race uh, with, with two riders on the podium. They ended up with multiple stage wins. They took the points jersey. They, they, they clearly came to this race and achieved their objectives. They won a lot at this race. But they also, I think, made the, the conscious decision at, at various points to, to put the, the onus on other teams to do some chasing. And it actually, for particularly in the kind of middle second half of the race, there were once, and then again, and then again, and again, you kept having these breakaway stage winners that was on stages that we really did not expect to see those things. And I think SDWorks deciding to let other teams, you know, try to call their bluff, uh, it generally ended up in, in the breakaways winning. And for me, I think SDWorks is probably fine with that. It's a it's a long term game for them where they say. Yeah, we're going to let some Tour de France stages go. That's fine. We still crushed the Tour de France. We we took second and first. We won a bunch of stages. We w- took a bunch of jerseys. And in the end, other teams, I think, are going to have to realize, wow, we, SDWorks really is willing to throw away those wins. And we're going to have to do that work. I don't I don't think that's going to earn SDWorks any friends. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more. But in general, I think they're playing the long game here. They're willing to throw Tour stages, multiple Tour stages away, if need be, to keep up this the strategy of yeah we we'll let you do the work that sounds fine and then we'll we'll finally take over in the end if we lose the stage we lose the stage whatever we're gonna win the whole thing so who cares and I was very I was sort of impressed by that it's it's easy to um, easy to see that as a, as a negative thing, but I think it's I mean it's bike racing so yeah
2: I would say that Kopecky seemed a little a little upset sometimes when she didn't win the stage so completely and a hundred percent totally okay with all of the loss is maybe not true. But Maybe, maybe Danny after, Stam, though. Like, okay, Danny maybe. Stam
0: might be fine with it. but His riders may be less so. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Ruth, in the past, on this very podcast, um, we, i.e. you, have, uh, have been somewhat critical of, of a certain rider who sometimes makes attacks that are unsuccessful. Uh, what did you see from Cassia Nuviodoma in this race, and, and do you think that she you know, maybe
2: was a little bit more tactical. I think we saw her do a little bit of her trait, her personal trait of attacking, and nobody's really sure why. Earlier in the week, there was definitely a few times when I was just like, Kasia, everybody is on your wheel. Everybody, you're just going hard with everybody behind you, and she wasn't making up any ground, and it seemed like she was just making herself tired. And the only reason I get so... I don't know on her about it is because I think she has such an ability to do well and it's so fun to watch her race. But then we did, I think really see that on the last, Oh, not the last stage, but the last road stage up the Tomelay where she, she just rode really within herself on the descent. I don't even know that she attacked, which is when she got her gap. Um, She just is a demon descender. I've descended with her multiple times in races in the past and Sometimes you're just like, oh, gosh, hold on for dear life. And I'm lucky that I'm a good descender, too, and have been able to descend with her. But I know if you're not that confident um, that it's really hard to hold her wheel. So I think she was just doing her thing. And then the whole time she was just climbing within herself and, and just looked amazing and when. Yeah, she looked like she was suffering for sure. Like she didn't look like she was going easy. Um, but she just was able to hold this pace the whole way. And I think when you're able to dictate that yourself, it's easier than when you're having it dictated by somebody else. And I thought that was just really impressive, the way that she rode herself um, into second place on the day. And her third place in GC overall was, was really, really good and awesome to see.
1: thought she had one of the most like, I'm trying to think of the adjective I want to use. It was just very just like pure and refreshing kind of interview after that, after stage seven, where she was just like sitting on the ground in a semi-exhausted state being like, you know, it was super hard. Like we knew where I were, you knew, we knew where I was weak. We worked on it, focusing on the stage for, you know, months. When Anna Meek stood up, you know, they made that first move on Aspen. She's like, this is where I would normally get, get dropped. I just have to fight through it. And it was just the, the planning and the work that went into that um, and having it work out, so well for her, I thought was really cool. Um I think a lot of that you just assume riders train and they're good and they do what they do and it's just to have that kind of look into we were planning for this, this was our goal. I executed on it and it worked. Um I don't know, I felt a lot of like kind of shared relief just watching that. Also she dropped a lot of F bombs and then apologized for dropping F bombs. And she was like, English isn't my first language. It's like we know and I'm also pretty sure you you know what that word means. It was it was funny. <laughs> it was it was good. It was I it was a pure I the word keep the word I keep coming up with is pure, and it's not quite right. But there's just a wholesomeness to it that I was like, yeah, this is good.
2: Just honest, probably raw, mm. raw and honest,
1: mm-hmm. unfiltered.
0: Mm. Uh, we've talked about the now. We've talked about the rider who finished third. We've talked about the riders who finished first and second. Uh, Annemiek van Vleuten, winner of the Giro, came to this race as the kind of the second favorite behind Demi Vollering and didn't finish on the podium. What do we make of that? I mean, is it fatigue? Is it, I mean, a rider who is 40 years old finally actually maybe riding like someone that is maybe not 40, but 30, 35 years old, because she's still a heck of a good rider. That's for sure. Uh, it seemed, it seemed to me that, that the form just maybe wasn't quite there. I mean, she didn't deliver that the TT ride that I think everybody expected. So it's not like it wasn't like there was a, a huge tactical mistake or something. At some point in this race, she just seemed like she maybe didn't have quite the level required to take on SD Works.
2: I was honestly pretty surprised. I thought she would come out and still kill everybody on the last climb. I was like, oh, we haven't seen much of her. She looks kind of terrible some of the days, but she always looks kind of terrible on her bike. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and then, yeah, on that last that climb up um, up the cold aspen, I think it was already. She wasn't looking. All looking so hot and then yeah she just kind of fell apart and i don't know what it is who knows what it is she's also still like just we said just did really well at the giro and everything so i fully expected her to come out and just kind of crush everybody but that's just not what happened
1: i i think i was most impressed by the fact that she rode like she was going to crush everybody like she was very the the way they put leopard on the front leading in or about halfway up col d'Espin and just smashed it and wrote it as hard as she could ride it and tried to make it the hardest she could make it. And I mean, she, she said afterwards, I wrote it like I was going to have my best day and win the race this way. And I didn't have my best day. And that was that. Um, and I just, that, that level of confidence in herself, I think is, 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 it speaks a lot to the career she's had and also maybe suggests, you know, she doesn't really have another card to play. She's always been the strongest. She's always been the most powerful. And when something happens, like she rides really hard and the second, her her closest rival for the, the the overall title doesn't want to ride hard. It's like nope, I'm not playing this game. You can you can pull me back up, or we can sit here and wait for everyone else. But I'm not. I've got my game plan. I'm sticking to it. Uh, and she really didn't seem to have an answer to that. Um,
0: yeah. When Demi Vollering was penalized 20 seconds for drafting, uh, at at that time it seemed like oh man, 20 seconds that's a long time uh, to lose in the big stages. But it wasn't. She's still won by three minutes. It really wasn't that close. And uh, yeah, uh, Van Vuyden just didn't have it.
2: We had quite a fair bit, I feel like, of drama. Um, just with yeah, SD works and losing a DS in 20 seconds. And then uh, Lata Hintala also getting disqualified from the race. Um, I don't think there was any video footage of her incident. It was claimed that she was holding onto the car but then she said in a post that she did not hold onto the car and it was just 10 plus seconds of a sticky bottle which is kind of a long time um, it just seemed like the penalties were pretty high uh, for the actions in my opinion uh, to disqualify DS's it's I don't know. Maybe it's the women's peloton getting more used to being on such a big stage. I'm not sure. But in the past, this was extremely common practice. I have been in the caravan just being passed by riders holding onto cars and pushing off windshields and just doing whatever they need to do to get back to the front. And I was just like, what? They're disqualifying people for this? Like, I thought it was fine. I thought you could draft on a car. And Zach's like, no, Ruth, it's against the rules. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that <laughs> because it just everybody everybody does it, and of course I do. Like I do really know it, but I just thought it was one of those like rules. I am doing quotations rules that it's so sure it's a rule, but nobody really follows the rule because people just, I guess, have an understanding. If you flat or well, something happens, you know, you just use the cause and you get back on. So it all seemed very dramatic to me.
0: It did. It did seem to me that uh, Danny Stam, the SD Works director, getting tossed was. I, I he he uh I don't think he did himself any favors by uh voicing his <laughs> displeasure with the commissaries. I, I think they tossed him not just for driving you know in a dangerous way but also probably for kind of being uh outspoken with his comments on the uh, the flip side of this is it makes you realize um in cycling you know it's big news when Danny Stan gets tossed out of a out of a race, but like the other sport I watch the most like managers get tossed all the time. So maybe baseball is weird. I don't know, but people get tossed a lot, and in, and in this sport, if you get thrown out of a race, it's a big deal. It's a problem. So uh, I, I guess I, to me, it just seems more normal than it probably is.
1: In baseball, I feel like there's a there's a well established choreography for getting yes. kicked out, though, right? Like this was very much a normal thing, and then a motorcycle came whizzing by, gesticulating wildly at the Estee Works car. Uh, And Abby Mickey Ruth was saying the exact same thing. Like this is stuff that not only happens all the time in the women's peloton, it happens in the men's peloton. And no one gets, generally speaking, unless it's egregious or caught on, you know, gets a million retweets. Nobody cares that much about it. Um, So it, it was, I kind of wonder what, point they were trying to make, um, and I'm personally pretty glad that Danny Stamm decided to be outspoken about it because clearly there was not a tremendous amount of impact to his team's performance based on his ejection, so I think the more pushback public pushback there is, the better
0: uh, all right, let's talk moments that maybe passed under the radar uh, because you know we've got we've got these analysts here uh, folks listeners've got I've got Cosmo and Ruth I might as well get there informed takes while they're here. Uh, Ruth, I'll start with you because you wrote something in the run sheet that I want you to expound on. I just it's feel tough like... to answer this question is what you wrote <laughs> and I want to know why. Why is it tough to answer the question about the, you know, moments that went under the radar?
2: I think it's tougher just because we had so many unexpected Winners almost. And so everybody was already looking at what people weren't doing or what people were doing. So, necessarily, like, under the radar is harder because everyone was already kind of analyzing oh, why didn't SD Works work more? Like, why are other teams working more? They shouldn't work. They should let SD Works work. And then we have these riders that were just throwing themselves off the front of the race winning. um And so I just felt like it was harder to necessarily isolate specific moments that went a little bit unnoticed i would just say you know i still think that the first day when sd works um really raced super well as a team and they put damie on the front for everyone to watch her and then had kopecky win i just i'm not sure that people noticed that like by having her on the front it distracted everybody from the other teammates but besides that i felt really (laughs) i felt like i was having a hard time pick specific moments for it
0: just to recap, in terms of those kind of unexpected winners, stages four, five, and six went to, yeah, unexpected attackers who stayed away. Yara Bauer, Ricardo Find, and Emma Norsgaard staying away on all those stages. So lots of breakaway uh, success. Lots of solo wins that kind of managed to fend off the chasers.
1: Uh, Cosmo? I was going to say the, the big GC showdown on stage seven. Yeah. Um... I mean, it's obvious when the two riders are not pedaling and talking to each other and hitting their brakes for no reason that something is amiss. But I remember when Lippert lined the field out, like, with Van Vloten, second wheel. Uh, Volering was, like, seven wheels down, hanging out with Roycer. Like, they're kind of looking—I think they were kind of talking, like, do we want to move up? And she's just like, no, like, I don't want to—like, traditionally, when that, your opponent does that, you're like, oh, it's going to be fast. I'm going to get up front so it's easy to respond. And uh, Van Vloten attacked, and— you could see Volering come up and I think once she got out of the saddle just to get around um, Nibiodoma and then just sat there the whole time and after probably 30 seconds of pulling Van Vloten was kind of waving her elbow like come on let's go let's go and Vollering's just sitting there the whole time and you saw Akasia occasionally would come around to take a pull Vollering never came there like I think the whole time she was just like I'm sitting on my wheel and doing nothing until you make me do something or until the point where I'm planning to attack uh, and just that I mean, for me, that was just like a huge, prolonged stare down, of which the actual stare down was was only one point. Um, it just it seemed very atypical to what we saw, especially between uh, Vinigo and Pagachar at the men's tour, because they were you know always on each other. It was very it was an interesting contrast.
0: Unheralded riders, Cosmo, here's your chance to herald Juliet Labus. Come
1: on, she was she was doing all the grunt work during this like what is going on kind of stare down there's a group and no one else is really feels like they can chase the, the lead three. And she eventually just comes to the front and grinds out what she can grind out. And it's a lot of work. And you're kind of like, what are you doing? Like you're just towing everybody until you look at the GC and realize she is the two people in front of her. And I think the two closest people behind her had not made the selection of the group she was in. So she just kept grinding and grinding and grinding when it got, when no one else wanted to help, she tried to attack, tried to get away solo. Um, when, uh, when volering when they when they regrouped and headed up the Tourmalet, again she kind of found herself on the front uh, when that when the big attack went from volering she actually got dropped a little bit um and even kepeki went by her and she just worked her way right back up uh i think came up to fifth or sixth um and like with a, almost a minute on either side of her so really kind of secured her place in the gc and then got past woman passy on the tt and it was just like a really good hard nothing too tricky about it just you know suffer through the day give your rivals give the rest of the group a little bit of advantage knowing that the rivals you're closest to are all getting hurt by it um it was it was really cool i like to see that kind of writing so
2: i totally agree she was super impressive um it was when she was throwing out all her attacks i was like ah, don't do too much but then it seemed like the last couple k's of the climb she totally came back and had yeah just this effort left left to give she just had to do her thing and kind of ignore everybody a little bit at some point um but yeah she's been slowly getting so much stronger i was teammates with her a couple years ago and just like has such a strong work ethic and yeah it's really fun to see her just do her thing and finish fifth is amazing like such a cool result
0: all right i do want to rate the tour but first what did we learn uh what did we learn from this tour about uh, mainly SD Works? i think is 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 what we can draw a lot of conclusions about uh Maybe their tactics, uh, yeah, results. Just in general, what do we learn?
2: I think they seem to just—they seem to have a general plan, but it also seems like they just let the strongest rider do their thing. I do think that we saw them have some tactics some days, and then it seemed like we'll just let, you know, Kopecky go do her thing. We'll let Demi go, Valorant go and do her thing. But definitely on the tourmalade the last day, I do think it was the tactic that they waited for Royce to close that gap to do the work. Like, Follering had no reason to do anything hard when she had the two teammates she had behind her. And I think that was cool to kind of see this balance between a team that like everybody seems to really want to win, but then also a team that did work together at the same time.
0: I have to imagine that, Letting the strongest rider win often is part of what keeps this team more or less running smoothly. Sometimes it doesn't, but generally, I mean, they've been running more or less smoothly for a decade now. It's hard to argue with your director's decisions on who gets to be the leader or whatnot when it's just the strongest rider. And this is a team full of strong riders, but if they just say, hey, strongest rider goes today and sometimes that leads to intra team drama like we saw at strata if you have that mentality if you have that approach it is kind of hard to take too much issue with things when that's the the normal approach and and it seems to work pretty darn well
1: it was interesting to see on i think it was stage 3 when lippert won it was interesting to see how they did their you know they had volering lead out kapeki and kapeki didn't win and that affected nothing for the rest of the race. Like everything still went according to plan. It wasn't like, Oh, Capecchi, you blew it. Or like, why did we waste all this effort trying to get you across the line first or etc. cetera. Um, I don't think her tire was that flat. I saw people pushing on the tire at the end of the stage and it didn't look flat enough that I, I mean, maybe you would notice in a sprint. I don't know. It didn't look very flat. Um, anyway. Uh, I, I just thought it was, you know, that it's easy when you're always winning to be like, yeah, we're just going to follow the plan. Um, And you win and you're like, yay. But when things don't go right and you still follow the plan, you still execute and you still win, that's really where you see what teams work and what teams don't. And uh, I will say, I think we saw the Peloton get a little fed up with with, with Estee Works at a few points uh, during the race. And I love a lot of their riders and the way they ride. I think they're all super strong and a great team unit. But at the same time, they they do visually look to be a little bossy in the peloton, especially in small groups at the front. And I think maybe some of that caught up with them on the days they didn't win.
0: To me, I mean, individually, the riders on this team all are pretty likable, I think. They're they're pretty easy to root for. There's no one who stands out as like an obvious, easy to root against that person. Uh, but as a, as a unit, they definitely, it, to me, it felt like this was the a possible heel turn for them in, in, in the race. I mean, they they are the dominant force in cycling for years. It's been Anamika and, Voeten and SD and Works year in, year out for a long time. And there's plenty of reasons to sort of get tired of seeing them win all the time, just because we like to see multiple people in contention. It makes racing more entertaining. But for me, this was the race where I, I finally, I think that there are some fans who might, from this point on, actually kind of root against them just because of that, way they rode and yet Danny Stam getting thrown out of the race for driving a certain way and probably complaining too much and they did a lot of you know complaining just in general about this or that thing you saw some some complaints about this or that thing and yeah I'm, I'm just sort of wondering yes they crushed everybody in this race yes they won but is this is this the race where they go from just being that dominant team that people are kind of tired of seeing win to maybe being a team that people actually root against again even though individually I don't know. I mean, it, it's, to me, it's, it's hard to root against Marlon Rooster, or, for instance. Like, a, a really, any, a lot of Kopecky, the Demi Volering, the, the individuals on this team, they seem delightful. But as a unit, they certainly did seem to really kind of not make any friends uh, at, at, at this race.
2: I think it's hard not to like them a little bit. I think although they win a lot, they're still winning in really cool ways. I mean, you can't argue that the last day of the Tomole wasn't exciting. They did a really good job as a team. I think some of the earlier days in the week, it was questionable if they had a tactic or they were just like out racing and trying to win. And if they won the day, great. And if they didn't, then it didn't really matter because they were going to win the GC. But it's hard for me not to like them. I think personally in the Peloton, it's hard to know how they're liked. Like when you have a rider that rides around cocky, I think there's a huge difference between being confident and um, sure of yourself and being cocky. And I think that Anna Vanderbregen did a very good job of being an extremely confident respected rider and it's a really hard line to ride as somebody that good in the peloton but if you come across as arrogant or like people are just in your way and they're annoying or they're not doing something that they should be like why aren't other teams working you should be working and what to help you win like why would people respect you in the peloton if that's how you're going to treat them so i think that there's just like a really fine line as the best athletes in the peloton have to ride to get that level of respect. And I think, you know, yeah, Vanderbregen did a great job of being a very respected rider. Um, Voss has always been a very respected rider. Um, Just, just to name a few that I can think of but I'm not gonna I don't know what it's like to be that but I would assume that it's a little challenging to to find that but you just if you make the peloton feel like they're just annoying you then they're gonna get annoyed at you and they're not gonna give you the space all the respect that you think you deserve because in reality you have to earn it you don't just get it you don't just get it given to you so I think it, it can just be interesting from inside the peloton from that point of view.
0: Yeah, that's something that we don't necessarily get very often. We we don't we don't know what's going on. Uh, all right, out of five. Although, as I wrote here, you guys like your decimals, so maybe we should be rating out of a hundred.
1: Well, I'm gonna <laughs> push back on the one to five to decimals because an eighty, which is a four, is a B minus. But on a scale of five, it's the next highest score you can get. Yeah. So that's you're, that. Make hard that decisions. You know. No, that's this is they're completely incomparable. They're, you In your, you're like, oh, this is mathematically equivalent. And it's like, no, that's just not how it works.
0: All right. I give this tour a three out of five because I think the tour was fine. And yes, if it's a letter grade, it's a 60 and that's bad, but it's not a letter grade. It's a three out of five, which if it's a film, I'm willing to go see a three star movie. I thought this was a fun tour. Uh, the GC battle was underwhelming in the end, but the individual stages were constantly entertaining thanks to, yeah, we had some good sprints, but then we also had lots of great action from, as I said before, Yara Castellan and Ricardo Bauer and find Emma Norsgaard just barely holding on. I mean, those were really entertaining days. And then even the, the, the stages where Demi Vollering, well, even the tourmalet where Demi Vollering ultimately crushed everybody. was still pretty entertaining to watch uh, riders riding through the mist on that day. So for me, it's a three out of five. Uh, Ruth, what do you say?
2: If I'm not allowed to use decimals, I would go... No, no, use
0: as... I want you to be as granular as you want.
2: That's just the difference (laughs) between a three and a four. I went with a three and a half. Um, If I had to pick, I'd go four. I think that... The courses could have, like, the way the GC was, it would have been fun to have, like, maybe one bigger climby day earlier in the race. It would have been fun to not end on a time trial, I think, in terms of that. But yeah, I think the way that it was raced, the support that we saw just to have the excitement for women in the sport and just be there to watch it and experience it from afar, what it means, um, not just for cycling, but just, like, general women in sport, I think I can't rate it lower just for emotional reasons like that. And yeah, I think um, from the day-to-day racing itself, we did have some really exciting finishes. I think there were times where I would have loved to see a bunch sprint, so just like a little bit different. If it had been raced a little bit different in terms of tactics, that would have also been okay. So I had my downsides, but overall, I enjoyed watching it and will watch again.
0: I'll definitely watch again for sure yes I mean I think I would watch again even if it were a one right I mean yes definitely Watch again and we hope it would be at least a two the next that year was a something.
2: silly thing to say
0: <laughs> Cosmo I think you you made a fine point about your letter grade and okay. it's the same number that you yeah I mean you, you said it's an 80 right so go ahead it's a four right?
1: I, I gave it a four I thought I liked. I thought it was really good. I am not willing to say the GC battle was mooring when second place was decided by less than a second. Um, I, the only thing I would have liked to see is maybe some crosswinds or some, some sort of deception. I think the, this, the, the Vuelta Femenina was still better because of all the kind of chaos and, and drama surrounding it. Um, but you know, you can't replicate the tour outside the tour. Um, but no I, I was very satisfied with this I, I would love to see another stage like we saw on uh, the gravel last year but I'm you know you can't have those every every tour um, again early mountains I think would be cool or mountains after the TT would be cool maybe a few more days in this race make it like a 10day race um yeah. but that's a, another discussion for another time i, I was I, I loved it I thought it was great
0: I think that I mean what we maybe need the most is just for a rider to come along and be able to challenge Damien Vollering. all right that's the Tour de France femme Avec Swift. Let's talk San Sebastian real quick, uh, where Remco Evenepoel took his third win in the race. He took his first one when he was 19 years old, which is kind of... I mean, he's still so young, so it's wild that he already has three San Sebastian wins. He did this one with a sort of very characteristic long-range attack, although he was not so low. He did have a little bit of company this time. He went, I it was like 70k... He went clear of the pack to go meet up with the survivors of the break. Uh, He had Peo Bilbao. He had uh, Alberto Betio. They had Alexander Vlasov up there. Uh, At the end of the day, it was Bilbao and Evanapool up the road, fighting for the win amongst themselves. Evanapool, the, well, at that point, the two-time winner. Go on to be the two-time winner. And Peo Bilbao, the kid from the Basque country who grew up not very far from San Sebastian, uh... Unfortunately for Bill Bilbao, he was beaten by Evanapool in the sprint. I was impressed by Evanapool's sprint. Ruth, based on what I'm reading here, you're less impressed by Evanapool in the sprint.
2: Well, you just said now he can sprint, and I just thought, you just beat one person. When you stood out of your saddle and sprinted. I don't know that it like, makes you the best sprinter. I'm not saying he can't sprint. I just didn't know if it was like necessarily a worthwhile note to make. <laughs> All
0: right, fair enough. Uh, I'm not saying he is the best sprinter. No. Uh, but, you know, I think Pale Bilbao's got a little bit of speed on him, so I think it was impressive. Pale Bilbao's got some explosiveness to him, so I was impressed with Remco for being able to win that one.
2: I think uh, that Remco's white skin suit alone would have beaten him in the sprint.
0: <laughs> white white shorts appreciator. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little white shorts action, you know? So Risky move to wear the white shorts in the Basque country. <laughs> you know, one of the rainiest places around.
2: Yeah, well, we all know after Liege, best on Liege, that he's not scared of that.
0: No, he's not. Yeah, it's a, definitely a conscious decision of what he's doing. Uh, all right. I want to say real quick about Evanapool that immediately after the race, the questions about Evanapool were you know. All right. What does this mean for your future form? And I get that. Uh, if I were at San Sebastian, I'm sure I would have been there for that, you know, question and I would have wanted to know what he had to say. But I just really quickly wanted to mention that being a three-time Clasica San Sebastian winner, being a two-time Monument winner and a world champion is that's a really big deal. And Remco Evenepoel is a really good one-day racer. And I kind of feel for him that the fact that he's also a Vuelta winner and the fact that he's also sort of seen as maybe a rider who can challenge Vingago and Pogachar in the Grand Tours. I don't know if that's true, but he's seen as someone who is maybe a potential Grand Tour challenger to their dominance. I think it means that people underappreciate his incredible success at a very young age in these one-day races. And if, if a rider was not a Grand Tour talent and had already amassed the one-day Palmares that Remco Evanapool has with all those wins. Three Classica San Sebastian at his age. I think we would talk about them. I think we would say uh, just more, you know, we'd give them more praise. But instead, I think it's all, so much focus is put on the other races on his calendar. And I just kind of want to take a quick moment to say, you know what? Congrats, Remco, because three San Sebastians is a heck of a, a heck of a thing to pull off in addition to your two back-to-back Liege titles and your World Championship win. Uh, I think one-day racing is really cool, and we don't need to always focus on the grand tours. So nice job, Remco. Also, I really feel for Peo Bilbao. Like, racing, probably all his friends are on the side of the road. His family's there. It was so close to this big win. And, okay, yes, he did just win a tour stage, so he's probably riding high right now, probably enjoying life, but... This close to being able to win at San Sebastian was probably a bit of a bummer.
1: You know what would improve appreciation of Classic San Sebastian is not having it during the Tour de France. Yeah, and also You're not the wrong. Tour of Poland. <laughs> and, yes, uh, that's true. Just, I mean, you know, they don't put Roubaix in the middle of the Giro. Don't don't put San Sebastian in the middle of the Tour de France. Yes, it's the women's Tour de France, but it's still the Tour de France.
0: Like, yeah, and we're still busy covering it, so like yeah. we we have to. There's only, you know, there's only one spot for the main story on the homepage. And, you know, yeah, you're right.
2: Yeah, I definitely think it's the time of year because the spring, everybody's all about one days and now it's just all about the toll.
0: So it really happens with the Lombardia as well, where it's people care less about it, which is a bummer because it's
1: they got to move it back to cross season where it was before. That's just
0: are you saying that would make people like it more?
1: I don't know. I, I I have no idea, actually. Uh, I think the road season's probably too long, running from January to October, but that's another, again, these are bigger picture things.
0: These are things that the placeholders can talk about. I know Kaylee yes. feels extremely strongly about this, too, so we should give him you know his space to to vent on the length of the calendar. All right, lastly, the Tour of Poland is going on. We don't need to get too deep into it, but thus far I have been very impressed by Matej Mohoric who has been climbing quite well, he climbed to victory on stage two, which was a pretty steep finishing climb. And I got to say, I was not expecting Matej Mohoric to be able to win a stage that ended with a 9.5% climb uh, ahead of Joel Almeida, Mikov Kwiatkowski. You know, riders you expect to be climbing up steep, punchy ascents. So good on Matej Mohoric, who as of the third stage when we are mid-recording, Rafael Micah just won, but uh, Matej Mohoric is your GC leader at the moment. And... I'm kind of curious how the riders who are coming out of the Tour of Poland will do at Worlds coming up so soon. Um, yeah, interesting decisions there by all these, all these riders. Uh, but yeah, good on Mahorch. Had a heck of a season so far. All right, I think we have been pretty serious enough about bike racing today. And we will be somehow discussing the men's world road race next show, which is very strange. But that's what happens when the UCI decides to do a once-every-four-years combined Worlds, so they move it up to August. And I'm sure there will be plenty of time to preview Worlds over on the placeholders. We're going to do all kinds of pre-Worlds stuff over at escapecollective.com. So rather than spending too much time doing that here, just know that Worlds is coming up. And you'll be able to watch the likes of Remco Evanapool and, I think, pre-race favorite, Lot van Art, Machi Vanderpool all kinds of other riders in the men's race in just one week from now, less than a week from now. So lots to look forward to there. The races are really spread out across the entire event. So it will be the men's road race early on, but then we won't see the, you know, the the women's time trials two days later, the women's road races well after that. So they're really spread out across this whole, you know, multidisciplinary experience, uh, which will also feature mountain bikes and track bikes and all sorts of entertaining bike racing fare so lots to look forward to we'll have all that on the next show for now cosmo ruth thanks for joining me hope you enjoyed the show everybody and we'll see you next time